From this point forward, we're going to be talking about redemptive deconstruction on this podcast. Um, I have a book out called Redemptive Deconstruction. Um, that book is available at Amazon in print or as an ebook. It's coming as an audio book here pretty soon. But we're going to talk about the different uh, aspects of what exactly that means. And one of the things I want to talk to you about today is specifically what are the principles of redemptive deconstruction? Because there's something very specific that I've come up with. We've talked about the different types of deconstruction. We've talked about atheistic deconstruction, uh, agnostic deconstruction. We've talked about progressive deconstruction. But this is called redemptive deconstruction. It's where you deconstruct your faith, you re-examine your faith, you ask yourself what is real, what is based on fact, what is based on sound theology. And then you, you reassemble that into some kind of uh, coherent faith that lines up with what Jesus and the apostles actually taught. So let me give you some principles of what I mean when I say redemptive deconstruction. The first principle is know God for yourself. Don't filter your faith through a denomination or a church. When people identify with God based on a church leader or a church or a denomination, and that person or group falls, their faith tends to fall with it. When our faith is based on a strong personal relationship with God through regular prayer, study of scripture, and serving others, our faith tends to not waver as much. Church leaders seem more concerned with our going to church or being involved in church activities and ministries than living the way Jesus and the apostles taught us to. Fellowshipping with other Christians is an important part of our faith, but that doesn't necessarily mean we need to be a part of someone's specific church or denomination. Principle number two, you don't have to be conservative to be a Christian. In some churches, this is more of an issue than in others, but it can be a real problem. There's this mindset that's taken on a life of its own within the evangelical community. It says that political conservatism is based on a biblical worldview. Although there are some biblical principles that would seem to line up with a conservative view, this is an overly simplistic way to deal with a wide array of very complex issues. It would be hard to argue that helping the poor, access to affordable health care, or taking care of the planet that God made for us wouldn't also seem to be biblical values. However, these issues aren't a priority in conservative circles. For the more politically minded evangelical, if you're not a conservative, you're one of them. You're viewed as someone who's either stupid or ungodly or in league with the enemy. During the Trump election, disgraced televangelist Jim Baker said, and I quote, if you don't vote for Trump, are you even a Christian? Unquote. Once it comes out that you don't necessarily agree with a conservative agenda, some people will shun you. Shunning is when people are ignored or rejected because they don't follow social or religious norms. Sometimes this can even lead to excommunication. Most of the time, people won't officially shun you, but will engage in a type of silent shunning. You'll find that people won't invite you to events or welcome you to participate in church activities. In more extreme cases, people will be told by church leadership that they aren't welcome at their church anymore. It seems hard to believe that this goes on in churches, but it does. I've experienced it myself. It's one thing if someone is disciplined by church leadership for cheating on their wife or caught embezzling funds from the company they work for, but one's political beliefs shouldn't have any bearing on our salvation. Obviously, if our political beliefs involve terrorist activity or you're advocating genocide, 
um, then that has some bearing on our salvation. But most political beliefs should have nothing to do with one's faith and ability to experience full fellowship in a church. The idea that someone's political positions determine their faith is absurd. Number three, never adopt a belief system that violates scripture. How we determine right from wrong can vary. Even within a Christian construct, some apply the same truths of scripture differently. But there are some things a Christian should never advocate. Two things I will never advocate are homosexuality and abortion. However, that doesn't necessarily mean we should never vote for a pro-choice candidate or at least leave the LGBTQ community alone regarding issues outside the church. When it comes to LGBTQ issues, I choose to be neutral. For the more extreme activists within the LGBTQ community, this isn't enough, and frankly, nothing ever is. And for the far-right conservatives, if I don't respond to every controversy regarding homosexuality, you would think I was worshiping the devil. While I do consider homosexuality a sin, I believe this is an ecclesiastical matter. We have no business enforcing this in the public square. The LGBTQ community has fought for their rights using the American legal system and now has taken their seat at the table with all other civil rights groups. That's how things work in a democracy. Evangelicals need to get over it and move on. Now, when the LGBTQ community tries to tell us how to run our churches or private educational institutions, that's where they've stepped over the line and that's where we push back. But for the most part, what the LGBTQ community does should be none of the church's business. When it comes to abortion, most of the evangelicals will say, how can you advocate the killing of an unborn baby? And the answer is we shouldn't. However, there are some things one should consider when dealing with such a contentious issue. First, most Americans believe in a woman's right to have access to abortion services. We aren't in the majority on this. That doesn't mean a majority view is necessarily right. But it is what it is. Second, we need to stop the litmus test voting. If a candidate has seven or eight out of ten issues right, but abortion isn't one of them, we should still at least consider voting for that candidate for the sake of the greater good. This is the reason such horrible candidates on both the right and the left get into office. They have one or two wedge issues that they promote, and they know people will vote for them no matter what else they advocate. Then they cram a bunch of extremist garbage into their platform and still get elected. We need to stop doing this. Personally, I don't see abortion as a religious issue, but many evangelicals will argue it among religious lions. There certainly are many other issues that fall into this category, but abortion and LGBTQ issues are the two biggest. Number four, don't trade conservative extremism for progressive extremism. We don't have a right versus left problem in American politics. We have an extremism problem, and it exists on both ends of the spectrum. For many within the deconstruction movement, they trade their conservative baggage for progressive baggage, and it can end up being just a different version of the same degree of extremism. How can a thinking, engaged person just wholeheartedly accept everything any group advocates? I mean, you don't agree, disagree with anything? Neither Donald Trump or Barack Obama got everything wrong. I have friends that are solid conservatives and others who are solid progressives. I can sit down with them and have a meaningful conversation. They're able to put together coherent arguments based on facts and logic. I may not agree with them, 
but I respect them. I can understand being predominantly conservative or progressive, but at least take the time to do a little research and think for yourself. The world doesn't need another political parrot repeating a political group's talking points. Number five, every problem doesn't necessarily have a political solution, but some do. The political solution is usually done by force. We codify behavior and make people do what we want them to do. There are times when this is necessary, but not always. Sometimes we need to change hearts and minds rather than use force. Our job as Christians is not to force people to change their behavior through the political process. It's to introduce them to Jesus. Martin Luther King spent most of his time explaining to Americans why racism was morally wrong based on scripture. Although he didn't hold office, he laid the groundwork for civil rights legislation. Once you have someone's heart, you have everything. When people willingly do the right thing, it's much more powerful and sustainable than forcing people to do something using the code of law. And when you do pass legislation, it's much easier to enforce when a clear majority endorses it. The power of the gospel is hearts and minds, not political power that uses force. Number six, the reputation of the church is far more important than any political agenda. While there's nothing wrong with political activism, we need to be cautious about what we tag Jesus with. To assert that our political views are somehow the will of God cheapens the gospel. Usually when people use the term biblical worldview or Christian worldview, what they really mean is a conservative worldview with a Christian label. Because one's faith and desire to please God is so strong, Political handlers know that they can manipulate Christians into voting a certain way. Liberals do this in urban churches the same way conservatives do in evangelical churches. It's vital that we make sure we don't misrepresent God's reputation for some short-term political agenda. Number seven, the king is coming. Our number one priority is the salvation of the lost before the return of King Jesus. We need to make sure we always see the big picture, and that big picture is the salvation of the lost. Anything that gets in the way of our calling as believers is an idol. Based on what Jesus and the apostles taught, our job is to change hearts and minds by introducing people to Jesus, not reforming government policy. It's not that political advocacy is wrong, but that it needs to be prioritized. We should always put our faith priorities before our political priorities. 